Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Judges chapter 13, if you have uh, your Bible or the Bible app, you can turn there. They'll put it on the screens. Judges 13, beginning in verse 8. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again. And teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Verse 10. Then the woman ran in haste and told her husband and said to him, Look, the man who came to me the other day has just now appeared to me. So Manoah arose and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. Then one passage of scripture found in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 15, In the new covenant, see then that you walk circumspectly, carefully. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I want to preach a message today titled, The Ruler, Yardstick, and Measuring Tape. The Ruler, Yardstick, and Measuring Tape. And before I do, let me pray. Father, I thank you. That before the foundations of the world, you purposed and planned to send forth the Son, the only begotten Son and the old creation, Jesus Christ who redeemed and rescued us from our sin, our rebellion, our failures and the grip of the kingdom of darkness. I thank you that now through his blood and his body that was broken, we can stand fast in the liberty by which you've made us free. I ask Holy Spirit that you would come and administer the kingdom of God and the liberty of God to hearts and minds and individuals today that you would cause us to experience and walk in the reality of what your word promised. That you would set our feet in a broad place. Father, not just in a narrow place, in a small and confined place, but Lord, I thank you for a church that you set our feet in a broad place. God, I thank you for a church empowered by your Holy Spirit to supernaturally testify and witness to the resurrection and the Lordship of Jesus. I thank you for a growing church. I thank you for a giving church. I thank you for a church fellowshipping with one another and your spirit in each other. Because you build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail. I yield to you, Holy Spirit, make much of Jesus. May he be manifested as he ought today. And for this we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now in our passage here, you have a man named Manoah and his wife. They get a specific promise from God regarding their situation. Regarding their primary need, their pressing need in their life. Now how many of you understand that when you have a primary need in life and you're facing sort of a right now situation and you get a word from God, a promise from God, how many understand that that is thrilling? That is exciting. That is a wonderful moment when God's word breaks in to your circumstance and situation. And as Manoah begins to think about this word of God, this promise from God, he begins to think about, man, I'm God's promised a child. And... and His excitement, which is valid by the way, begins to turn to concern. Because I imagine him talking with his wife and he says, Now honey, if if God's promised 
that, that our past is not going to any longer dictate our present and our future. That His promise and what He spoke is going to change our situation. And they begin to be excited about it and they ponder about it and think about it. This moment hits them. We're going to have a son. What are we going to teach him? When we have a son, what, what are we going to train him in? See, I, I've seen some research and some surveys done. I don't know, but, but uh, some surveys seem to indicate that the process of having a baby between a husband and a wife is exciting. I don't know about those surveys. But, but you move beyond the moment of being thrilled and excited to then thinking, oh my gosh, there's responsibility to having a son. And as you think about this responsibility, the excitement and the moment of God's Word breaking into our situation turns into the concern for wisdom. And with this awareness of needing wisdom, my Noah prays. Reminds me of what James said. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom in an area, let him ask, let him pray to God. Manoah shows this truth even in the Old Testament and he prays to God and he says, God, let the man of God come again. Let me talk about that statement, man of God, come again. It makes me think for you and I today that are followers of Jesus Christ that has surrendered to the reality that Jesus is Lord, that the kingdom of God is at hand, that we're not king and God of our life and on earth anymore. And we've accepted and surrendered to the fact of Jesus' lordship and his right to rule over us. I think about us who have done that today, that when Jesus came into our life as Lord, it was exciting. Now for some of us, what got us there might not be exciting. The process of being broken. The process of understanding our need for a Savior and our need that we can't fix everything and control everything. And a lot of times transition and tension and trauma brings us to the revelation of our need of a Savior, one greater than us, our purpose of why we exist. But it's exciting when you experience His life coming into us. And as the song says, and the burden of my sins rolled away. Hallelujah is right. How exciting when the burden of our sins was rolled away. That Jesus has the power to forgive sins on earth. He forgave your sin, my sin, and our sin. But that excitement as the word of God, the promise of God, the seed Jesus breaks into our life, then that moment of excitement turns to concern. Wait a minute, if now I'm carrying Jesus, if like what Paul said in Colossians 1, now Christ is in us, the hope of glory, that now I have a responsibility of how I carry Jesus, for Jesus is living within me through His Spirit. That this responsibility of now I carry Jesus wherever I go should turn us into the concern of having wisdom. Wisdom to be faithful with Jesus. Wisdom to be faithful with carrying Jesus. And this cry of wisdom should make us find ourselves like my Noah found himself. Man of God, come again. Come again, not into our life for salvation, and come again, not in our life for regeneration, and come again, not in our life to forgive us of our sins, but man of God, Jesus, come again and teach us. Teach us how to carry you faithfully. Of course, Jesus comes again to believers, not in 
the way that He came in salvation. He comes through the ministry of the Holy Spirit as Jesus Himself tells the disciples in His days and it's applicable to us here today. He said, I'll send the Spirit of truth, the Helper, the Comforter, who will teach you and guide you and lead you into all truth, who will empower you to be able to carry me, to carry me well and to be faithful with me. So Manoah says, teach us, and today we shouldn't find that surprising because it reminds me of what Jesus tells the eleven as some of his last words before he ascends back to the Father and takes his seat at the right hand of the Father, exalted as King and Lord over the nations of the earth and having given birth to a new humanity, the church of Jesus Christ, when he said in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Go make disciples of all nations, of all ethnic groups, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Teaching them to observe. Teach us, O man of God, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, of all that you've commanded for us, of how to carry you, of how to carry your life. God's life, resurrection life, overcoming life within us. Manoah specifies two areas of being taught. He said, what will be the boy's rule of life? And what will be the boy's work? Let me talk about this rule of life. A rule of life represents personal convictions. It represents personal core values. A rule of life for you individually, personal convictions and strong personal core values and personal boundaries for you. Now in our story, the angel, the man of God that came to Manoah and his wife said, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Notice that God's word was personal to Manoah's wife. It wasn't a word to every saint of the old covenant. It was a personal word for her life. But listen, it was commanded. It wasn't a suggestion. Even though it wasn't something that was in the law of Moses because it was a personal boundary for her that God had led her in, but yet it was a commanded boundary, a commanded conviction, a commanded core value. In fact, we see it in Judges 13 and 5. Read with me there on the screens. It says, For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. And no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. No razor shall come upon his head. Shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. This is a personal word. This represents a personal boundary for the woman, for her son, who would be Samson. And yet it wasn't a suggestion. See, listen to me. Anything commanded by the Lord carries great weight regarding our life. Anything the Lord asks of you, even if it's not something that is for all believers... For all of his children, it still carries great weight in your life. Great weight in what what sense? In whether you will see the will of the Lord prevail in your life. Or whether you'll see the will of the enemy prevail in your life or the will of the flesh. This is what the Apostle John talked about in his first letter, 1 John, about walking in the light of what you know. We have to, as believers, walk in the light of what has been revealed and told to us by the Lord. Now, listen, 
These personal boundaries, these personal convictions, these personal core values that the Lord can command and require of us. He can command and communicate those values to us through different means. Sometimes it can come to us through a sermon. Sometimes it can come to us in prayer. Sometimes it can come to us through the peace that surpasses all understanding. Sometimes it can come to us of learning to discern good and evil for our life like Hebrews 5 12 talks about. Sometimes it can come through another brother and sister or a multitude of counselors. Nevertheless, when it comes to us, understand that it's personally for us in our walk to the Lord, but it carries great weight in us being able to be successful in the plan and purpose of God for our life. See, it's the ruler and the razor. Samson and his story was given the ruler and the razor. He was giving a rule for his life. And the rule for Samson would bring strength and success in God's will for him. Now what was this rule of life for him? It was the Nazarite vow. It was that he wouldn't cut his hair. You can see that I clearly don't have that vow. I did for a season. I called it my Samson anointing when I went back to school. My kids, we we talk about it when you look at my, uh, when I finally, finally graduated for undergrad. Finally means I took a a while. (laughs) But when I finally did, I looked like I was coming right out of the 70s show. (laughs) My hair was long and uh, uh, unkept and... But nevertheless, I called it my Samson anointing. But Samson, this rule was that he wouldn't cut his hair. He wouldn't drink any juice from the vine. This was the rule. Was the personal conviction and boundary for him to be able to have success in God's plan and will for his life. But then there was the razor. The razor would bring sin and failure in God's will for Samson. Now when you think about the razor in Samson's life, you find out for you and I even in the new covenant that God doesn't remove all the razors in life. That there are razors for your life. There are things that if you allow to erode or keep you from walking in, the specific commanded personal boundaries, personal convictions, and personal core values God has commanded for you in order to be successful in His will, that there are razors that will absolutely cut His anointing, His strength, and His power for you to be successful in what He's called you to do. And those razors and the possibility of those razors remain in life. They're always there. God doesn't remove every option of a razor for you. They are there. It's that we need to learn wisdom in dealing with razors. Meaning, if razors are going to remain, if there's going to be in your time of following Jesus, always options that can absolutely go against the rule of God's uh, word to you and specific boundaries to you that will allow you to experience His strength and success in His will, then the wise thing to do if you can't remove them is to find some ways to wisely, in wisdom, Keep yourself from them. Did you know that today, because some people's razor is food, we don't talk about it much in America, but it is a razor for many people. Obesity and and the health issues in America is a real issue. Did you know that they sell now cookie jars? that there's a timer you can set 
that you can't access the cookies until it reaches that point and unlocks itself. I heard of one person said, I don't care if I set the timer and I don't care if I paid for it. They just crashed the entire box and got the cookie when they want. Listen, that's allowing the razor into your life. Listen, there are things that can absolutely hinder us in our personal walk from the Lord in being successful in His calling and purpose for us. What's the wise thing to do? What does wisdom look like in action? It means put some boundaries between you and those razors. And that's what the ruler will do. The ruler will help you guard your personal boundaries so that you can experience God's strength and put some wise boundaries between you and your razor that would want to take away God's strength and favor upon your life. So let me talk about the ruler. I have here a ruler if you're because of technology, if you're not familiar with the ruler anymore, a ruler is 12 inches. And a ruler represents a unique conviction that God commands for you in your walk with Him and your personal relationship with Jesus Christ and following Him as Lord and leader of your life. And when God commands a personal conviction, a personal boundary for you, and He gives you a ruler, with it comes faith in order to trust God in that command. Did you know that there's about 12 inches from your head to your heart? The ruler represents you getting some convictions and some core values and some boundaries, not just in your head, but also in your heart to guide you, to guide your life, to protect your life from things that would keep you from God's best from the life and the life more abundant that Jesus came to give us. Listen, how many of you want to rule in life? Well, listen, if you want to rule in life, then you better receive a rule of life. If you want to rule in the victory that Jesus has made possible for you in life, then you need to get a rule of life from the Father for you. Some things, listen that for you are non-negotiables. It's not non-negotiables for every brother and sister, but it is for you in order for you to be successful in what God's called you to do. Did you know most, most athletes, they have a ruler? It's called a specific warm-up routine. Did you know that not every athlete has the same warm-up routine? And yet, as a team, they all have common things in their warm-up, and yet each of them, primarily uniquely, has specifics that they do that's found to work for them that not everybody else on the team does. Did you know Billy Graham had a ruler for his life? And he had personal convictions and personal boundaries and personal core values that were not in Scripture for every brother and sister who follow Jesus, but it was for him in order for him to be successful in God's purpose for his life? And listen, it's the same for you and I. God will lead you and command you to get some rulers in your life, some personal convictions, some personal boundaries to establish some things that will guard you from the razors of life for you and protect God's strength and favor upon you. That's what personal boundaries are. They're ways that protect us from being overextended. They're ways that refuel us. They're ways that enable us to continue to experience God's strength and success in His will. Listen, here's my challenge to each and every one of us today when it comes to the ruler and the wisdom of the ruler. If you will do the hard work now, boundaries will do the hard work for you later. 
young men, young women here today. That's what Solomon came to the conclusion in Ecclesiastes. He said, learn to fear the Lord and to walk in the ways of the Lord when you're young. Why? Because then those ways and the hard work when you're young will serve you later in life. That's why the path of the righteous winds upward. It gets easier and easier. And following the Lord, the more you have His rhythms of grace and personal convictions and things He's led you in, established in your life. Established in your life. The more healthy routines you get in your life, the more space it creates for your life to attack other issues, other areas in your life. Listen, if you will do the hard work of learning and establishing boundaries now, then later in life, they will do the hard work for you in future situations. But you have to do the hard work now. Some of you say, but Pastor Chad, you don't understand. I'm so busy in life right now, that's why I don't do it. Well, first, busy is a cuss word here. Because busy is a word of someone who wants to shift the God-given responsibility that we as believers in Christ are empowered to lead life, not be a victim of life. Schedules don't enslave us. We enslave our schedules for the glory of God. We're an empowered people. We're not a helpless victim people. Since when has the church of Jesus Christ began to proclaim and make the same cries as society around us? We're an empowered people. We're a special people. We're a chosen people. Why? Because we realized we weren't special and we needed Jesus Christ and His blood to redeem us. And when He did, He transferred us out of those mentalities of being helpless and being a victim into a kingdom of all grace that God's got grace for whatever we need today. He's got empowerment for whatever we need today. We're not a busy people. We're an empowered people. We're not a busy people. We're an intentional people. People. Hallelujah. We got purpose and he's got grace for his purpose on our life. So that's an excuse. But if you'll do the hard work now, then you won't feel in the future busy. You'll feel intentional. God will give you grace and faith for the personal ruler that he leads to be in your mind and heart so that you can be successful. Listen, not in the world's ways, not in the world's, God's purpose for your life. Now when we talk about the wisdom of the ruler, we have to clarify and spend a little longer here. we got to talk about the rule of life for all believers. Now listen, when we talk about the ruler and we talk about a rule of life for all believers, we can't confuse the rule of life for every child of God with the ruler for your life. We can't confuse it. Look at Galatians 6 and 15 with me. In Galatians 6 and 15, Paul the Apostle, he says, Listen, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. Listen, that's personal conviction. Circumcision? Uncircumcision in the new covenant, that's personal conviction. It's not commanded in the covenant of Jesus. Personal conviction. Nor uncircumcision avails anything. Doesn't matter much is what he's saying. But what matters, what avails is a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Wow, what is this? Notice he says according to this rule. What's this rule here? This is the rule for all the new creation of God. This is the rule for every child of God. For everyone who is now in Christ. Where old things have passed away and behold all things have become new. For everyone that's been regenerated and born again. This is the rule for every one of us. It's the new creation rule. It's the rule of this new nature that God's given on the inside of us through the new birth. Listen, these are the general qualities of character for all the people of God. 
Did you know He didn't call just some of us to be kind? He called all of us to be kind. Did you know He didn't call just some of us to be humble? He called all of us to be humble. Did you know that there are qualities of character for the children of God, the new humanity, the new creation of God, that is to be a rule for all of us? These are kingdom values, not personal values. These are kingdom boundaries, not personal boundaries. Compassion and gentleness. And Paul, when he wrote to the churches in the New Testament, he talked about as the elect, the chosen of God, put on the character of the new creation. The character of the new creation. This is like what Jesus said, and we saw in Matthew 28, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. These are scriptural kingdom standards and ethics for every follower of Jesus Christ. How we communicate to one another. How we walk with one another. It's the rule for all new creations. It is the yardstick. It's the yardstick. I remember growing up, my mom had a, had a yardstick. <laughs> we won't get into all the reasons why. But yardsticks back in the 80s when I was a, a little wee boy, they were valuable in the 80s. But she had a blue one. And it seemed a lot thicker than this one. I don't know what made me think of it. But she had a blue one. And, uh, but, it, but a yardstick, think of those two words, a yardstick. A yardstick is three feet. Three feet. When you think about a yard, listen, those of you who have a yard, the yard is not you, but it's an extension of you. See, listen to me. In a yardstick, you still have 12 inches, but it's more than you. It's an extension of you. Why? Because, listen, your yard is where the extension of your personal convictions, your personal boundaries, extend and meet your neighbor. If you have a house and you have a yard, your yard is not you, but it's the extension of you, and it's where you meet your neighbor. See, listen, if you get this close to me, that's my personal boundary. That's invasion of space. Don't do that to anybody out there. They'll think you're weird. Or who knows how they'll react. Some of us are still getting healed from past trauma. So don't get this close to someone. No, no, no. You, the yardstick represents where we meet another person. See, believe it or not, if you can see, only have two feet. But a yardstick is three feet. Why? Because it's where we meet another person. Just like our yard is where we meet our neighbor. Three feet represents the yardstick where we meet another person. It speaks to relational boundaries. Relational boundaries. It's where we encounter and engage with the person right in front of us. Unless you're my wife or kids, this is a good estimate of when we talk of how we should be space-wise. About three feet. <laughs> but it represents engaging and encountering the person, three feet, they're my two and someone else coming in, of our one anothering with each other. I like what Dr. James Richard says regarding this issue of encountering another and relational boundaries. He says, if I don't know me, it is impossible for me to know you. See, oftentimes the issue we have when three feet's involved in a situation or dealing with our neighbors or dealing with the, another person in front of us is because we don't know us. See, there's 12 inches here. But if I don't know me, then as I extend beyond me and engage another, I can't know them. So we're talking about the wisdom of moving from personal boundaries 
to then having relational boundaries in how we communicate, engage with the person right in front of us. Now listen, this engagement of the yardstick is the rule of life for every believer. The rule of life. Did you know as an elder in this community that Scripture instructs me when it comes to the yardstick of how I'm to talk to you if you're a woman and my sister in the Lord but older than me? It says to talk to you like a mother. To an older man as a father. Meaning there's a, a sense of respect for someone who has lived life longer even though in this community I'm an elder, an overseer equipped to serve you. The Bible gives us clear rule in our engagement with one another. And dealing with our neighbors, the yard. Dealing with three feet, our relational boundaries. See, listen, look at Galatians 5 and 6 with me. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. Sounds like what we read earlier. But faith working through love. When we talk about the difference between the ruler and personal boundaries for you, and then the yardstick, which is three feet, our relational boundaries with one another, we can't get confused and we must distinguish and understand the general from the specific. For instance, we all are to have general faith in who God's made us as His children through the new birth that works through love towards one another. We learn this by being taught. But do you also know that you have faith that works through love in a specific way regarding your specific ruler? When God gives you a specific boundary and the ruler in your life, you have faith that works through love in your relationship with God in that area. That's why there's a confidence you have in that conviction. But you can tell another person about your ruler that God's commanded for you, and they can look at you like, what in the world? They got no faith for that. I couldn't do that. That's not necessary for me. That's right. That's what that should be the response. It's not their ruler. It's your ruler. But for all of us, we're to have the yardstick, faith working through love, Generally, for all believers, and yet we each have unique ways that we love God, and He's given us faith to love God that way uniquely. That's the ruler. Can't get those confused. Can't get those confused. Now, for some of you, it might be that God has commanded you to spend certain amounts of time reading Scripture every day. But did you know you can't find scripturally where God commands every child of God? How much time to spend reading His Word? For some of you, it could be regarding a lifestyle of fasting. Now Jesus said, when I go away, all children are going to fast, but He didn't give us specifics of how much and when. That can be your own ruler. And you can't make your own ruler become everybody else's ruler. Because listen, my ruler and personal boundaries can't be your ruler because your ruler is King Jesus, the ruler of your life. But the ruler of your life will lead you to get a ruler in life in order to be successful in God's plan and purpose for you. You learn the ruler for you as you follow Jesus. You know why a lot of people don't have personal boundaries and personal convictions? Because they're just a believer, not a follower. They believe in Jesus and they believe He's the ruler, but they don't follow Him as the ruler of their life. And that's why they don't hear what it is He wants them to hear to get the ruler of their life that would cause them to be successful in what God has planned for them. Planned for them. Now, this brings us to the next issue. If I get 
a ruler, personal boundaries and convictions for my life, if I start learning the general relational boundaries and the characteristics for all children of God in dealing with one another, what then about the people who aren't here today? What about those who are not yet children of God? What about most of the people that you and I do business with or engage on a daily basis who are outside the church of Jesus Christ? Not just outside these walls, but outside of the real body of Christ. Those who are still don't have a relationship with their Creator yet through Jesus Christ. How do we increase the rule of Jesus Christ and His kingdom? How do we increase the influence of Jesus as a church and as a local group of believers to those outside the walls? Let's talk about that. Go to Philippians 3 and verse 16. Paul, dealing, of course, with this issue, as he told every church that they had a purpose, multiple purposes, and one of those is to influence and extend the kingdom of God outside of their current fellowship and outside of their current local group of believers to those that are not yet believers. And in Philippians 3.16... He advises them, he says, Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already obtained, he's talking about maturity, maturity being conformed to the image of Christ, walking according to the yardstick, the measure for every child of God, for every believer, according to the degree. See, there's different notches. There's different degree on the yardstick. So not all of us are to the place where we're demonstrating all three feet of the relational boundaries with one another. We're in process. We're growing. But to the degree that we've obtained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. What's he saying? He's saying walk to the degree that we've already attained on the yardstick. If you and I, in our relational boundaries, have attained to 21 inches, then let's walk in unity to 21 inches. Let's not get so focused on 34 inches because we haven't obtained that degree yet. And because we've not attained that degree yet, we don't have faith and understanding about that degree yet. And that's where relationships can break down. He says, no, we have to learn to walk according to the measure we've obtained with one another. Meaning the more mature one becomes in our relational boundaries, we don't demand other people to meet us where we're at. In love, we go and find the degree that they're at and we walk in unity into the degree that we both obtained. That's what maturing looks like. He says walk in wisdom towards each other. Paul, when he writes to Timothy and he says a little more of what this looks like, he said this, you can devote yourself to many things, but he says, Timothy, you need to devote yourself to one primary thing. And you need to promote that which causes God's building work instead of devoting yourself in promoting that which would cause disputes and disagreements. What's he saying? He's saying the same thing he told the Philippian church. Find the degree that you agree on and walk according in wisdom with that. He says be of the same mind. You know what that means for us as a church here? we got to walk in the same strategy. If we're in this ship, in this boat together, then we got to row in the same direction. we got to walk in the degree that we've obtained with the same mind of the same strategy. And listen, let us individually... Walk faithful to our ruler and the ruler he's given us for our life. Your ruler, Jesus Christ, and his rule for your life. It makes me think of what Solomon said. You know what Solomon said in Proverbs 16, 32? He said, he who's slow to anger is better than the mighty. Mm. Well, that goes against a lot in our culture. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. What's he saying? He's saying God wants us to influence and extend his kingdom to this city. But what's the process? What's the way of wisdom? That we individually first get a ruler for our life. Then we get 
a yardstick in relating to one another, then we can take the city. We can influence the city. That's the way of wisdom. Why? Because it does no good if we seek to take the city and we're not even walking together. And as Dr. Richard said, I can't walk with you if I'm not clear on who I am. So we need the wisdom of the ruler, we need the wisdom of the yardstick to then begin to understand the wisdom of the measuring tape. The wisdom of the measuring tape. See, the thing that's unique about the measuring tape from the ruler and the yardstick is the measuring tape can extend. A ruler can't extend. A yardstick can't extend. But a measuring tape can extend. It can extend outside these walls, outside of our personal boundaries, outside of our relational boundaries of one another, and it can influence the city and the people around us. This is why Paul... In Ephesians 5 and 15, our other primary text says, See then that you walk circumspectly, carefully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Be careful to walk in wisdom. Listen, that's what we saw the angel, the man of God, tell my Noah's wife. Be careful with you in all that I've said. Walk in the wisdom of the ruler. Walk in the wisdom of the yardstick. And then we're going to see an increase of the rule of Christ around us. That God doesn't want us to reach people around us without us first walking more and more in the ruler and in the yardstick. Listen, I learned this the hard way. You can go and read horrible story after horrible story of sadness of ministers or brothers and sisters that first started to walk in the wisdom of the measuring tape and to extend the kingdom and extend the gospel and extend the rule of Christ in a city or an area. But without having the wisdom of the ruler and the wisdom of the yardstick, it's easy for the enemy to cut off the influence and the wisdom of the measuring tape. This is why we got to understand the will of the Lord for all His children, the specifics of His will for your life, the ruler, so that we can see the influence of this church be extended. This leads us to number three on your card, work in life. Manoah prayed and he said, Lord, don't just give me clarity on the rule of life for my son, but what's also to be his work in life? What's to be the boy's work? What was to be Samson's specific place and function in the purpose of God? You and I who are created in Christ Jesus, we have a specific, unique role that God has created and assigned for us to play in His body in advancing His kingdom. For some of you that means because you're a child of God, you don't just get to pick without the Father's approval and without your ruler Jesus and the Spirit's peace and leading, what career or field of study are you going into? The parents prayed, what will be the boy's work in life? God, where do you want him to work and fulfill the part he's to play in what you're doing in this generation, what you're doing in this earth? It reminds me of Proverbs 22 and 6. Where Solomon says, train up the child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. What's he saying? As parents, the goal is to create a framework for our children of them learning to first seek the kingdom of God. Not first seek their ambitions and dreams, but first seek the kingdom of God. What is the work that God has for them? Not even what am I talented in, what do I desire, but what does God want me to do? 
Because believe it or not, there are times where God asks us to work outside of our natural talents so that He gets more glory. And we got to be open to that. Now for you and I and many of us here today, we didn't maybe grow up with that framework of thirst. That in, when it comes to work and career and field of study and job, we didn't first grow up with the framework of asking God, what is the work you want me to do? We just began to think through cultural lenses or parent uh, expectations or our own expectations. Would it pay more or what will make me seem more successful or, or more acceptable with people? And for many of us, that means we need to repent. That just means change our mind and reframe our work now. That God, I maybe didn't start this career, start this business, start in this job for what you wanted to do through me. I started it or I'm involved in it because I wanted to do it. But reframe my motive and my perspective now that I'm in it. See in Matthew 6.24 as the band comes. Jesus said no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot serve God and mammon. What is he saying? He's saying that all of us have an option. Our service is either done unto mammon or it's done unto God. Our work is either done unto mammon or done unto God. Now what is mammon? Listen, mammon is a demon spirit that tells us that money can provide significance, success, approval, and self-worth. And when we believe the live mammon, then now we're working for mammon. We're working actually for money because we've assigned a value to money that it can give us approval, significance, value, and acceptance. And now every day we're marching to the beat of the spirit of mammon. Jesus said it's impossible to march to the heartbeat of the spirit of mammon and to the heartbeat of the Father. Listen. It's impossible to work for God and work for money. No, no, listen. Only one can be the master and the motive. And what you'll find if you'll learn to work for God, He'll take care of money working for you. Because what God calls us to, He provides for. That there's supernatural financial favor when you find yourself not working for mammon, but working for God. See, only one can be our primary motive. What will be the boy's work? This is the wisdom of the measuring tape. That God, how are you going to extend the rule of Christ? How is Christ going to be manifested in many ways to many people in this city and in this region through a community of followers called Jesus Christ? It's going to be because we as a people aren't working for money and working for mammon. We're working for God. We're working with God in what He's called our work to be. And so now the measure of Christ through this community is increasing because I'm not going to a job working just to get money. I'm going to a job in a career working with God how He wants to increase the influence of Christ and the measure of Christ being manifested to many people in this city, in this area. That now, in all kinds of businesses, in all kinds of places, in all kinds of careers, in all kinds of job fields, Christ is being manifested more and more through this group of people. This group of believers called Dwelling Place. This is how the measuring tape keeps increasing. How the influence of Christ through Dwelling Place keeps increasing. The more and more of us who says, you know what? It's impossible for me to work just for money. I'm working with God in where He's got me to see the measure of Christ's influence through this community called Dwelling Place. 
Paul, when he writes to the church in Colossae, it's basically the same instruction he gave the church of Ephesus in our verse in Ephesians 5, 15, but in Colossians 4 and 5, he says, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. Everybody say outside. Walk in wisdom towards those that are outside. Redeeming the time, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Those who are outside. What does that mean? It means the wisdom of the measuring tape and getting the wisdom of the measuring tape determines the ministerial boundaries that you and I as a community called Dwelling Place has. People say, how can Dwelling Place impact more people? How can our boundaries in who we minister to increase? This is how. Through you and I, not working for mammon, but working with God to manifest Christ where He's assigned us to work. This is how the measure of Christ increases. See, the ministerial boundaries of us as a group of believers called dwelling places dependent on the wisdom of the measuring tape. It's dependent on us walking in wisdom. First with the ruler, then wisdom with each other, the yardstick. So that then the measuring tape and the influence can extend to the city. On all kinds of streets and all kinds of corners and all kinds of roads and all kinds of businesses and all kinds of fields and all kinds of careers. See, my role in this community according to the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4.12 is to equip you for the work of ministry. For the edifying of the body. Not to equip you for the work for mammon, but the work of ministry. So that the increase of the stature and the influence and the role of Christ would continue to be extended. In Ephesians 4.15, he continues and he says that the way the body grows is every part does its share. Causes growth of the body. The growth of the body, the wisdom of the measuring tape extended, is every one of us doing our share of walking in wisdom towards those that are outside. Everybody say outside. But listen, it can't happen to the level God wants it if we don't learn the wisdom of the ruler, the wisdom of the yardstick. This is the way of wisdom. This is how the measuring tape extends. This is how Christ is manifested to more people in more ways. How the ministerial boundaries of this community increases. See, there's a measuring tape for the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12.10 says the Holy Spirit distributes to each one individually as He wills. He's given some of us all of us at least one spiritual gift as He wills. He set a measuring tape for you and I. In chapter 12, verse 18, Paul continues, said, He set us in the body as He pleased. There's the rule because God has given us special graces and spiritual gifts. He set us to do certain functions in the body as He pleased. But then the way it increases more is work that is of God and for God. See, spiritual gifts primarily is for the edifying and building up of one another. The function of members of the body is for the benefit primarily of one another. Like your fingers is for the benefit of your hand. Your hand is for the benefit of your arm. Your arms for the benefit of your mind. But the role of Christ wants to move just beyond the benefit of us but the benefit of those that are outside of us. The outsider currently to His grace and His mercy that He will forgive them. He absolutely will deliver them. He absolutely will wash them and make them new and a part of His people and the new creation. But we have to have the work that is of God and from God and we do it for God. This is the wisdom of the ruler, the wisdom of the yardstick, the wisdom of the measuring tape. The ruler represents personal boundaries. The yardstick represents relational boundaries. The measuring tape represents ministerial boundaries. 
We don't always come to the wisdom in the consecutive order. Sometimes we're learning wisdom in multiple areas simultaneously. That's okay. But these three areas will impact our life, our experience, and the life of those outside dramatically. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.